Alrighty, good morning, Solano. My name is Devon, and I have the pleasure to once again read scripture for you this morning. Shout out to Miguel for such a lovely, heartfelt performance and declaration of his faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if you can all pull out your Bibles or cell phones to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. <clears throat> For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble. Uh, uh, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of God. <clears throat> Thanks, Devon. <clears throat> um, it was a beautiful tribute. Thank you uh, for the love that was shown. And I think with Miguel's tears... I think that was probably sermon enough for us, and I think uh, already our service has been um, a big win. So I'm just going to try to uh, not take away from that and see if I could add to that a little bit here with, with the message of Scripture. Um, I, uh, we're we're <clears throat> learning about being a healthy body. That's what our, our series is about. Um, we want to be a healthy body as a church. Right, so we want to be a church um, that loves each other. We want to be a church that utilizes our gifts, that builds each other up, and uh, a church that doesn't fight and quarrel. And we want to know. So we want to know how to be a healthy body. What does that look like? And so we're seeing in First Corinthians that they are not a healthy body. Right, they are uh, struggling. They're fighting. There's controversy and confusion. And so Paul is going to confront the unity issue first. When he sees there's divisions, he's going to go after that. <clears throat> he's going to spend four. He's going to spend four chapters to get the Corinthians to understand what is the wisdom of God that they need to live out, because they're starting to look to the world. They're starting to chase after the world in ways that are wreaking havoc on their ability to be a healthy body. So Andrew uh, brought us to uh, a wow factor verse last time he preached a few weeks ago. He said, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And his charge to us, which was a hard one, was we are to adopt foolishness and weakness as a way of life. Adopt foolishness and weakness as a way of life. The foolishness of God, that is. 
The ways of God that seem like foolishness to the world, that's the sweet spot for the church. But I'm not sure we really know what that means in practice. I was reading about Flannery O'Connor. She was an author, a, a, a prolific author who died young. But in her journal, was she, when she was in college, she said that her greatest fear was the fear of mediocrity. Just being an average person. And I read that and I really felt that. I think I've been chasing that my whole life. And so yet here I hear scripture calling us away from medi- even being less than mediocre to embrace foolishness and powerlessness and weakness And to stop chasing after the status symbols of the world and to embrace the things we might tend to actually be ashamed of and want to hide from. When I was a kid, um, well, when I was born, I had a birth defect in my right foot. It's called a club foot. They did reconstructive surgery on it. And so my right leg never grew quite normally. So once I started going to school, I was incredibly... I don't know if I'll use the word ashamed of it. I was incredibly nervous about being made fun of. And so I, um, I went to school uh, and wore pants every day. If it was 100 degrees, I wore pants all the way through high school. And so I didn't want people to see this defect that I had. And so I hid it. <clears throat> uh, and so um, I don't think, though... I'm the only one that has things about themselves that make you want to hide. I think all of us, there are things about you that make you feel like you want to hide a weakness or a foolishness or a powerlessness that are part of your life. And what if it were to turn out that the things about us that we may want to hide from or run from or be ashamed of God is using those for his special purposes. And so that's what Paul's going to do to the Corinthian church to help them uh, heal, to help them move towards being a healthy body. He's going to say, you know what? I want you to consider your calling. I want you to consider where you've come from. I want you to think about why God chose you in the first place and the result of God choosing you. And so verse 26 starts off, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. What Paul does here is he highlights three categories of social status that people might seek after. The first one is wise. I like that he adds kind of parenthetically by worldly standards because Paul is going to um, want to say that actually there is a wisdom he wants Christians to have and that God gives us. But by worldly standards, not many of you are wise, meaning not many of you were at the top of the academic world. Not many of you were the thought leaders of society. Not many of you had the blue check mark on Twitter. I'm wondering uh, how many of you have five figures or six figures of followers on your social media. Probably not many of you. 
right? So not many of us are wise by worldly standards. They're not coming to us as the um, thought leaders and thought gurus of society. That's not most of us. Not many of us are powerful. Any mayors in the house? Any governors? Any of you uh, famous celebrities or any famous millionaires? Not many of us. Any famous YouTubers? Don't want to miss them. Very powerful people these days. Just ask my children. Okay. Nope. Not many of us. Not many of noble birth. I wonder if any of us were our families. Are we children of billionaires? Do any of you have a, a biography, a famous biography written about your parents or grandparents? Probably not. Not many of us. So we can relate to the Corinthians. We're kind of nobodies. We're not that special. And so the fact that most of us also don't fit those categories, it's turning out that God is saying, that's on purpose. That's, that's my plan. And so there's a principle we need to grapple with. I try to grapple with it here in this message. I encourage you to maybe meditate on this. But God seems to choose those of lower ranks, of having no real distinction in the world's eyes to build his kingdom. That's God's strategy for the most part. There are a few exceptions. And Paul being a notable one himself. But actually in scripture we see this very clearly uh, one other place, one other very important place. Jesus' own disciples. We can recall that in his inner group he built his whole ministry from men of Galilee not Judea, not Jerusalem. He was from Nazareth, which was kind of the hood of the, the Palestinian area. In fact, when Jesus rose again, and he, they, the, his disciples went before the, the, the Jewish kind of elite religious leaders, um, they were astonished and kind of offended at their boldness because they, they, they were men, uh, common, uneducated men. They were common, uneducated men. And so who was missing from the ranks of the disciples? Well, pretty much, very typically, the religious and political elites. There were some examples. And so Paul is trying to remind the Corinthians that you are fighting and quarreling because you have lost sight of what's important to God. And you are beginning to copy the wisdom of the world. The world wants rank, wants power, wants the world's recognition. It chases the blue dots. The world wants the big house on the top of the hill, but that's not what God's looking for. That's not what God wants to use. That's not his strategy. In fact, do a thought experiment with me. If God were to start a ministry in the East Bay, imagine that instead of starting in Rome in the year 0 AD, he started, or Rome, whenever he started, it looked like the East Bay right now. Where would he start his ministry? Where would he pull from? Would he start in Albany or Berkeley or El Cerrito? Or would he go across the tracks to Richmond? Or to the urban streets of Oakland. I think I know where he would start. And I don't think it's the bourgeois middle class. 
We're way too materialistic, way too comfortable, in my opinion. But more deeply, I wonder if our compass is off. So I don't want to take this analogy too far. We are God's people. I believe that. But as we are the middle class for the most part, we're, I, we're not the notables of society, but at the same time, we're in this middle class position, so we're in danger. There's a danger of being pulled in two directions, and which direction are we going to go? Because we want to chase after the world's rank. We want to chase after the status symbols of the world, just like the Corinthians were doing, and it was destroying their church. It was destroying their fellowship. And so God is going to call us towards the weak, towards the powerlessness. Are we able to go in that direction? And so why is that? Why does God have a pattern of choosing the weak and the not so powerful? That's the pattern. God, God says it very explicitly, not many of you were that. That's my strategy. Why? Verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. God has an agenda, it appears. It, it, it seems, it appears to us, more than seems. He has an agenda. It's to lay low human pride. Human beings tend to be boastful before God. That's our default. And he's on a mission to thwart that. We should cheer him on in that mission. We should be excited for that mission, right? Because all of us, pretty much every human being instinctively knows that Pride is ugly. We don't like pride. How many of you like to root for the underdog? Most of us. There's an attraction. Some of you didn't raise your hand. You're like, no. I like, I like it when the, the, the champions win. I'm the Patriots fan. Gosh, Patriots. Um, let me give you maybe a more obvious example. Last week, um, we had the privilege and pleasure of Marshall Wilburn preaching. She gave a message. Um, we value that. That was a great special experience for us. Now, what if in the midst of that and all the accolades she was getting, I inserted myself. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Didn't you know I was the one that scheduled her? I was the one that did the legwork to bring her in. I was the one that looked over her manuscript. You guys, it was, it was I should be getting some credit here. How does that sound to you? That's, that's kind of ugly. You would want to thwart me. That's pride. That's me inserting myself and stealing the recognition from where it belongs, isn't it? Now, I did do those things, right? But we all can see that that wasn't what was important. In fact, uh, it was actually Jody Hoffman that recommended Marshall. I just got her number from Jody. And yes, I did, overlook, I did look over her manuscripts and I just said, wow, it looks great. <laughs> I played my small little part, yes. But what if I started to boast? What if I started to make that about the main, I started to make that the main thing? Wouldn't that be ugly, church? 
And so that's what we do with God right there. That's what human beings are doing before the creator. If God is the creator and the sustainer and the lawgiver, and we're out here saying, yeah, that's, uh, but really look at me. Really, it's about what, what I'm doing. <clears throat> that's ugly. God says, yeah, we need, I want to thwart that. But the problem is that that posture is so ingrained in us, we so default to being this kind of black hole of self-absorption that just sucks people into the gravity of our own selfishness. We're so ingrained that God can't just tell us, hey, stop doing that. Hey, actually, it's, I'm, the, I'm the creator. It's about my glory, not yours. I created you. You're, you're stealing it. You're imposters. He can't just say that. We won't listen. So he has to, instead, he has to show us. I love this um, routine by the comedian Brian Regan. He tells this story um, where he's, you know, he's, he's trying to tell a, a story about having two of his wisdom teeth pulled out. You guys heard this before? Two of his wisdom teeth he wanted pulled out. And he's, he's in the middle of telling a story and a guy goes, that's nothing. I had four wisdom teeth pulled out. And so he's like, well... You have the floor for wisdom tooth, man. Like, he's like, why is it that there, as the human nature, we're always trying to one-up each other's stories, right? And he calls, it, he calls it the me monster. The me monster always trying to outdo each other's stories. So he's, he says, I, I wish I had a social fantasy that I was one of the 12 people who walked on the moon. And then I could always beat everyone else's story. He could always, if someone tried to interrupt him, he's like the moonwalker, and then everyone's just got a bow to the moonwalking story. But you know, I think that's what the gospel is doing. I think that's what God is doing by the people that he saves as he's trying to tell the better story, the story that beats all stories and puts to shame the monster of human pride. And so God did tell a better story. He came as one of us, as one of you. He came in weakness. He came born in a manger. We're going to sing about that in about a month. He was from Galilee. And he said, I will die on the cross for your sin. And while you are scoffing and making much of yourself, I will call the weak and the powerlessness, those who the world overlooks, those with defects of all kinds. I will call them to me through the foolishness of the cross. I will put my spirit in them. I will save them to eternal life. I will laugh and sing with them with their glorified bodies shining in perfect righteousness like the sun in heaven for all eternity. And you, or scoffer, will be cut off. So we who are weak, we who are of no esteem in the world's eyes, we are God's strategy. To shut down the boast of man, that God saves those who are on the margins and gives them to his own self. 
He gives his own self to them. So how should we respond to this? Anything in your life that has brought you shame because it doesn't fit the world's standards. Anything that falls short of the status symbols of the world, God says, I'm using that to tell a better story of my power, of my salvation, of my glory. And so I wonder what that is for you. What are those areas of shame, of feeling less than, of lacking, of weakness, of powerlessness, and just kind of going chronologically a little bit through life? Maybe in high school, maybe when you were young, you were never popular or conventionally beautiful. I always wish I was more of a jock, but I didn't break 130 pounds till I was, I was in my mid-20s. It's not very jockish of me. <clears throat> maybe where you were born, maybe the citizenship you have or don't have, maybe the amount of money your family made or didn't make, Maybe the amount of money you don't make and wish you did. Maybe how well you did in school. <clears throat> I'm, not a Berkeley, I'm not a Berkeley grad. I'm a UC Davis grad. I actually could feel a little insecure about that. I, didn't, I couldn't make it to Berkeley. But you know what? Some of you, maybe you didn't even go to college. Maybe you're unmarried or childless. Maybe you don't own a, own a home. Maybe you have a criminal record. Maybe you lived in an RV for a year. Maybe you're getting older. Your body doesn't work like it used to. Your faculties aren't there like they used to be. Paul's calling the Corinthians to stop being ashamed of those things. He's using those things to reveal himself through you to the world. Because this is the message, this is the gospel message, is his goodness, his mercy, his power, he is all we need. He is who we were created for. The world needs that message. But here's the deal. That message of our need for God is only magnified through weakness. Otherwise, It'll always be able, someone will always be able to say to us, well, it's easy for you to be joyful in God. Look at all the money you have. Look at how well educated you are. Look at your beautiful family. But when we don't have those things and we have joy in God, then the world says, well, maybe I'm chasing the wrong thing. It's in our weaknesses that that message starts to get through. And so really it, it must be about of our, our collective weakness because all of us have that. There are things about me, you know, I have a beautiful family, but then there's some other things that Jamie and I, they're lacking in our life that we could feel a little weak and ashamed of. Maybe some of you have, a great, have that great job or making good money, but there's some pain in your family. All of us have different areas of weakness. So collectively, when we start bringing those before God and not being ashamed of those and seeing how God uses those, 
That is what God is saying. I use that. I use that to shame the strong. And so we have to be careful what we're chasing in our hearts. We have to be careful what we're chasing. That's different than wanting things, right? It's different than wanting things because it's really saying, what is your boast? What is your confidence? So we have to be very vigilant about this. And I can't tell you how to discern that. You have to discern that yourself. What is the difference between wanting something and chasing it to make it our boast, to make it our confidence? That's when you're in danger. That's what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians to stop chasing those things. And so you have to discern what that is, okay? I want the recognition because of the degree I get. I want the recognition because of the skills I can show, the family I have, the money I make, the things I have. When it's because of how you want to be able to get recognition from it, that's when it becomes a danger. All right. I, uh, I wanted my degree. You guys have known about that if you've been here over the last year. It took me seven years to get my seminary degree. Well, I got my diploma in the, in the mail a few weeks ago, and I put it together here in this nice thing here. I put it on the mantle. I'm very proud of this. But I was meditating on this passage today, and I remember something that Paul said. You see, Paul was an elite. Paul was maybe one of the wise. He had a good pedigree of noble birth. He was taught by the best and the brightest. He became one of the best and the brightest. But he says this, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul says, I have all that stuff, but you know what? When it comes to knowing Christ, I have to be very careful how I view those things. I have to be very careful how I view those things that are very nice things to have, good things to have, and not bad in themselves, but how am I attaching my identity to those things? Paul says, when that starts to happen, I completely go the other way. I count them as rubbish. I'm willing to be ashamed of them. If you've ever heard a sermon on this like you are now, you'll, you'll, you know that that word rubbish also means dung or excrement, dog poop. I count them as dog poop. So I want to give you an image of what we need to do with some of those things. I have here, as you guys know, a doggy bag. We take our dog Hudson on a walk and he sometimes does his business. We have to pick it up with these things. It's gross. And so what Paul is saying, if I can open this thing here, is the things in our life that we've gained. We have to hold it out like this. Some of the status symbols that we have, we have to count it as rubbish. Hold it away from us. Keep it at a distance. And so what I'm saying is there's, and we need to be able to have this healthy bashfulness towards the things in our life 
that maybe God has given us, maybe the things find attractive, but we need this healthy bashfulness, a discomfort of feeling pride in those things. We need to be willing to count it as rubbish. So, but I think we need more than that. I think Paul does, shows the Corinthians a little more than that. He wants them to see how God has used their powerlessness, used their weakness, wants us to lean into that because he's using that to tell a better story than the me monster story of the world. But he says, actually, I haven't only called you out of that, I have replaced it with something. In other words, your desire to boast needs to not just be squashed, it needs to be redirected. There's something he wants to fill us with. He doesn't want us filled with pride over this kind of stuff. He wants to fill us with something else. Verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. Do you see the change in boasting here? Instead of boasting in the presence of the Lord, where we're taking and stealing his glory, we're now boasting in him alone. So what replaces the monster of pride and self-boasting, the monster of chasing after the status symbols of the world? It starts off right here. This verse, just let this grip you. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of him. That's gratitude, right? That's saying that God did something you did absolutely zero to merit, zero to accomplish. It's because of him. That's God's doing. So this gratitude is this foundation for this new form of boasting but then you can see how Paul builds on that. He adds um, that you, you know, he kind of turns things around and he says, you did not have wisdom and rank and power. And now in Christ, we have something infinitely greater. We have Jesus, who to us is wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now I had to struggle not to be a little annoyed with Paul here for dropping these big theological words and not explaining them. Did you guys see that? Put that back, go back. Just feel my pain here. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption, just drops it like that. Did he never take a homiletics course? You don't do that, Paul. So we have to, we have to, we have to somehow understand what Paul is saying that we have in Christ I think we're helped a little bit by the fact that Paul used these groups of threes in this passage and then uses this, this grouping of four. So I made a little chart for you guys to help us out here. Before Christ, we were not wise, not powerful, not of noble birth. In order to shame the wise, shame the strong, bring to nothing um, those of noble birth. Basically, that last one is God uses the have-nots to shame the haves, all right? He loves the have-nots to bring to shame, to bring to nothing the haves of the world. And now, 
Christ is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification. And there's that fourth one just dangling there, redemption. So I think we can understand those words if we line them up to what Paul was saying in this passage. Wisdom, you weren't wise, but now we have a wisdom in Christ and so actually, there's a, there's a true wisdom, there is spiritual wisdom that we have that this world does not understand. It goes right over their head. They can't see it. They can't understand it. But in Christ, we now have access to it. We're gonna learn more about that in a few weeks. And so Paul's gonna call the church. You need to, you need to be uh, consumed by that wisdom. Not the wisdom of the world, which you didn't even have much of anyways. You weren't very special in that category anyways. But now I have given you wisdom from me that you have full access to. Lean into that. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are strong. But now we have righteousness. You see, the problem with power in the world is power is often the end not the means. Power is what the world seeks after. But in Christ, power is now the means to the end. The end is righteousness. In other words, in Christ, Christians are now people who have the power to do God's will. You want power? Church family, you want to have power? How about the power to do righteousness? God is saying, that's what you have in Christ. Go do his will. Stop chasing after the rank of the world and the accolades of the world and getting the world to bend to your will. You now have the ability to do God's will. And so we're going to lean into that over the course of this book. Paul's going to call the Corinthian church. Once he's established wisdom, he's going to take 10 chapters to say, now this is how you live this out. Righteousness. You have the power to live according to God's will. Now, sanctification, you see, the world also cares about where you're born. Who, who not where you're born, but who your parents are, what rank you have when you're born. This idea of nobility, it's a little bit odious to um, Americans because we're so built on a meritocracy right? But we, we can feel how much we don't like when someone, right, they're handed a silver spoon. They're born to people with a lot of everything, and they just because the way they're born, they just get it all. It's like they did nothing to deserve that. They just were born, and then they have access to all this power and privilege. And it's frustrating to us until we realize, oh, wait a minute, the gospel kind of works like that. Christians, you see, the, the status that, that you're born with matters to the world, but Christians have something better. And so now maybe we see why Paul opened this letter to the Corinthian church saying, You've, there's that weird word. He doesn't often open that letters like that, but he says, you've been sanctified in Christ Jesus to the saints in Corinth. You, and he knows where he's going. He knows these are people who are looking at the, the earthly nobility, the aristocracy of the people around them and are wanting that. And he's like, what are you guys doing? You are chasing after what's been passed on by human birth, 
by human DNA? How about what you've gained by the blood of the Holy One shed for you? You did nothing to deserve that. And now because of everything that Christ gave you, you are, have the status of saint in his kingdom. You are now a saint. You have recognition from God. It is unthinkable that we're chasing after that stuff and anxious for those things and fighting and quarreling with jealousy over those things. It's unthinkable when we have sanctification. And so we get all the benefits of that too, right? When you're of noble birth, not only do you gain a rank because of your birth, you get all the benefits of that rank. And so we have a privilege that privilege is different with God. It's the work of his sanctifying power in us to make us holy. That he is working in you the beautiful fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. You get that privilege of the Holy Spirit in you and so I will receive the weakness that God is pleased to give me. I will receive the mediocrity of my faculties because God is working his resurrection power in me to make me like him, to make me holy. And so let weakness and foolishness come if by them I can but share a little bit in the resurrection power of Christ. And then the, Paul adds this last word here, redemption. Just dangling there. That's because there is a fourth category that Paul hasn't yet mentioned. You weren't just brought out of foolishness and weakness and having no distinction. You see, you were, you, you were a nobody in the world's eyes, but there was a problem. You were actually notorious in God's eyes. You are notoriously wicked. You are notoriously sinful. Not only did you have no status in the world, but you were a criminal before God. You were a sinner. And so redemption, that one really puts the nail in the coffin of our boasting, doesn't it? Really puts the nail in our coffin, our coffin when we realize that we've been redeemed from our sin there is a hymn the powerful hymn it's called were you were you there were you there and the, the lyrics are beautiful they're a little haunting though it says were you there when they crucified my lord were you there four stanzas were you there when they nailed him to a tree when they pierced his side when the darkness filled the land were you there and then it says, oh, it makes me tremble. It makes me tremble. I think what that hymn is doing is it's bringing the reality of the cross, the reality of what God did for us and the foolishness of that event to the world, but it is power and salvation to us. It's bringing that into our everyday present moments so that we tremble. We tremble because, you know when you're trembling before that? That's the beginning of learning what it means to boast only in Jesus and not before God. 
when that event of what Christ did out of his love for you, but because of your sin, when those two meet powerfully, and then you learn to tremble, that's the beginning of what it means to boast in Jesus. So that's what we have to do. The cross, um, when it becomes the defining event of your life, and it really, it needs to be the defining event of every moment of your life, that will kill boasting. Were you there when they nailed him to a tree because of your sin? Were you there when the darkness fell because the father turned his face away? Were you there? Oh, it makes me tremble. And so that's where we begin, church family. That is the kind of people God is calling us to be. Instead of chasing after the, 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 the status symbols of the world, chasing after the, the, area, the areas of, of the world that bring them confidence and boasting, instead we look to the cross, we look at what was accomplished there, we look at God's love poured out to us there, the redemption that we had, and it seals our humility, it seals our, our eyes fixed on him, and we tremble. And so that is that is. What the true fulfillment, that is what Christ is calling us to, that that is the beginning of how we understand that he is all we need when we can see who he is for us. And so today we're gonna respond in prayer. We're gonna have a prayer response before we do communion. And so we're gonna ask you to come up and receive prayer based on how the Lord is working in your heart from this message and I wonder if, if what God is asking us to do, partly as I put this message together, is a, a spirit of confession and a spirit of contrition. And so two questions you can answer is, how do you feel tempted to chase after the status symbols of the world? And what areas do you feel tempted to boast in other than Christ? But also, maybe you need to come and give something over to Jesus Oh, God is calling you out of the shame and out of the hiding and the running from certain things. So what areas of shame or weakness do you need help seeing as part of God's bigger story? So we're gonna invite you to come up and receive prayer for those things, but also anything else. Maybe just something else is going on in your life and you wanna be able to receive prayer and the ministry of prayer today in the service, we invite you to that. So let me pray and we'll move into communion. Lord, we thank you for today's message and service, Lord. We thank you for um, how you have helped us to feel, Lord, the, just kind of the pain of some of the weakness and some of the, um, the churning out of our hearts when we feel like we're nothing and we don't even deserve to be here. And yet we see this word from you, Lord, that that's exactly what you were looking for. Lord, when we're at our weakest is when you can be at your strongest for us and in us. So Lord, help us to embrace that. Help us to embrace the bigger and better story. Lord, not of our accomplishments. Lord, not of what the things that we wanna chase in this world, but Lord, of what you are doing to bring glory to yourself. Lord, help us to um, have the event, the greatest event ever of your death and resurrection, Lord, let that be ever present with us as if we were there so we may learn to tremble 
before it, both in fear and gratitude of you, but also in awe of your love for us. May that make us a humble people, people you can use, so that you might be to us truly wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Pray this in Christ's name.